Amen. Amen. Thanks, David. So good to see you guys. Look at this. I'm walking. All right. I'm so happy about that. And so if you, if you don't know, I've been going through a struggle these last three weeks. I've just been on the rocker for a long time. And it's crazy. Uh, you know, when you don't see the sun for a couple of weeks, it does mess with your brain. And so it's just been nice. Uh, the last uh, On Wednesday morning, I told my wife, Jordan, I said, hey, I'm starting to feel better. And she's like, great, awesome. I'm going to bring the kids. Uh, I'm going to go take the kids to school. This is great. You know, this is good stuff. So maybe we're going to go for a walk or something. And so I was like, yeah. So I was all excited. And so we dropped off the kids, or she did. And she came back. And she walked in. And she walked in and just stared at me. I thought, oh, no, what is happening now? And she said, uh, how good are you feeling? I'm like, I think I'm feeling pretty good. She goes, okay, good. I locked the keys in the car. So there you go. Good luck. And so I was like, oh, no. So I had this journey of trying to figure out how to get into this GMC Acadia. And part of me was really happy. It was very difficult because that means my vehicle's harder to break into. The other half of me is like, I wish this was easy because I'm tired of this. And I didn't feel so great. So I like, I literally, we just saw a movie with Russell Crowe in it. And he took this this tennis ball and he put a hole in it and then he just smashed it, you know, and then it opens. It doesn't work, at least not for the GMC. You should have seen me. I was just like hitting the thing. I was like, okay, it dents in the car. That's probably not a good thing. I should stop. And so Jubal, my brother-in-law, we called him and he's like, I got a Slim Jim. And I said, what does beef jerky have to do with any of this? Apparently Slim Jim is a way you can break into a vehicle. And so we got into the vehicle thankfully, and I had to go sit down the rest of the day. I, I kind of overestimated myself. But I remember thinking in that moment when we did that, I was thinking, you know what? A lot of us, I think, in the Christian life, and me, I'm so terrible at illustrations, but I was thinking of it in that moment. We act like we receive eternal life. It's like we have the car in the garage, but we can't use it. You know, we have these promises of Christ, and yet the keys are locked from the inside, and we can't get there until we die and go to heaven. And that's the reality of, that is not the reality of what we have in Christ. Uh, Paul writes this letter to, to, a, to really, he's frustratingly, lovingly, really frustrated with Timothy saying, Tim, you, you know about the power of God, but you're not putting it into action. You're not grabbing a hold of it. You act like it's a car that's locked from the inside and you're just waiting for one day for you to finally be able to get in. You, you can access this power now. And so 2 Timothy 1, 7, you know, it says, uh, for God has not given you, Timothy, a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind, right? And so I think Paul, he's really later in his ministry, in his life, and he's trying to breathe life into young Timothy to speak, to step into the life that he has in Christ. And I think that's really a good word for us in this season. We have to recognize what's ours in Christ. Again, not because of anything we've done, but because how supreme Christ is for us. Maybe even better, uh, really, illustration is Christians, I believe, are like people locked inside of a supermarket, and yet we're starving to death. Everything we have, we, we have everything we need. The problem is, and what Paul's going to point out tonight in 1 Timothy, we're not grabbing a hold of it. So I hope tonight to maybe kind of help us in this journey, what does it look like to grab hold of what we have in Christ? So go back on the screen to verse 11. I want to read this one more time and kind of really point out some of these phrases. He says, but you, man of God, now, before we even go further, it's so important in the Bible. Whenever you see something, it really sticks out. You got to highlight it. You got to think about it. You got to meditate on it. And in the Old Testament, this title was only reserved for the best of the best. There's really only a few men that were given the name man of God. For example, some of them are Moses. You have King David. You have Samuel. And you have the prophet Elijah. Beyond that, there's barely anybody else in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, that were declared a man of God. The beautiful, the beautiful news of the gospel is that we, because of Jesus Christ, the moment you believe in Jesus, you are a man of God. You are a woman of God. 
It's not because of what we've done, amen? It's because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So this is already good news. You, man of God, remember, you're not like these false teachers. You are a man of God. Flee from these things. If you hear last week, flee primarily from the love of money and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's, that's what we're going to zero in on tonight. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life. This fight, the good fight, a lot of us think kind of military language. Most commentators believe it's actually more of a athletic metaphor. He's saying train, leave everything out on the field. Heaven is real. Hell is hot. Life is short. Let us, let us train and let's pursue God and what he's called us to do and to become. And I love this phrase, take hold. Other translations say grab eternal life. And this eternal life, especially in our Western perspective, we typically think eternal life just means duration, just means quantity. And that's true. So we believe, if you believe in Jesus, you are saved. And from now and for forever, throughout, his, throughout all the future, you, are, have, you have life in Christ. You'll be with God in heaven. But it's also important to know, in this, in, in this context, they would know it right away, but for us, we're a little bit detached, is it doesn't just mean quantity. Every time you see in the Bible eternal life, it also means quality. In other words, when Christ saves you, you have a new life, not just for the last day you die, but you have a new abundant life today. What he's telling Timothy is saying, Timothy, grab hold of that abundant life that is yours today. So I want, to, I want us to ask this question to ourselves. Are you starving in the supermarket of God's abundant grace? Because reality is it's already here but God doesn't work with coercion. He just invites us over and over again, and it's up to us to grab a hold. So the title of the message tonight is The Fool Life or The Foolish Life. The Fool Life or The Foolish Life. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask for your grace and your mercy. I God, I pray that you be with us tonight as we study through 1 Timothy. I'm so grateful for our church family. God, I'm so grateful for all the things that you've been doing in the life of our people. God, we lift up those who are ill. We lift up those who are grieving. And God, we just ask you that tonight we just really lay our hearts open to you. Maybe there's ways that we are not living the full life. And I pray that today, tonight, we would see your goodness and we would receive it. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've already done for us on the cross. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, amen. Amen. So are you living the full life or the foolish life? So just before verse 11, we covered it last week. Paul goes through a list, a de description of what these false teachers are. And we have to recognize we can possibly be these people. Verse 4, he says they're conceited, understanding nothing, unhealthy interests and disputes, arguments over words, envy, quarrelsome, slanderous, evil suspicions, constant disagreement. This can actually define us if we aren't following in the way of Jesus. And so I think it's really helpful here to, to see how, how the world could influence us and we become these types of people. But I think it's so important that, that Paul doesn't stop there. I think a lot of churches, we like to make a big deal about how terrible everybody is out there. What's important though, is okay, this is what false teachers look like. And we need to first, is this something I need to repent of? But now the great news of the gospel is, okay, that's not who you are. Here is who you are now. That is the past. Here is what God has for you today. And so Paul gives this list of what this man of God looks like. And that's what I want us to look at for the remainder of our time. But I want us to first describe here. I'm going to kind of write this down in your notes. What is the full life and what is the foolish life? The full life embraces 
all that God miraculously created you to be. When you gather here at our church, it's our deepest desire. We walk alongside of you and help you in your journey. God has performed miracles in your life. God has created you uniquely. He has a unique plan and purpose for your life. And the full life is not even so much telling God, okay, here's how I want you to take care of my life. It's okay, God, I know I trust you. I'm not gonna be praying, here's my plan for my life. I'm praying, God, show me your plan for my life, amen? I know for me in the church, my life changed when I stopped telling God what to do with my church. I started asking God, what do you want to do with your church? You're the one in control. You're the one in charge. And this is the miracle of God's grace and abundance. So this full life is this position. Okay, God, I'm pursuing what you've already given me. I am in the supermarket of God's abundant grace, and I'm going to grab on to what you have for me. But we have the foolish life that we're tempted to fall into. What is a foolish life? The foolish life chases all that you meticulously crafted yourself to be. And this is exhausting, right? This never-ending hamster wheel of trying to do good, to be better, to get enough. You wind up with envy, quarreling, slander, because you fear other people getting ahead. And when you're in charge of your life, you have to tear others down along the way. We have a better gospel. We have the better news. Let me be clear here. I'm not saying that the foolish person can lose eternal life. What I'm saying is the foolish person is somebody who doesn't use eternal life. So you can be a believer here and still kind of foolish, is what I'm saying. So there's some of us, none of, I don't believe you can lose eternal life because God did it for you. You can't do anything right to lose it. However, some of us aren't using it. We're not walking in the abundance that God has given us. So for the rest of our time, I want us to look at three reasons why we're not grabbing hold of the full life. What are three ways, and maybe you're all three, maybe you're one, what are ways we're not grabbing hold of this good life? Let's look again at verse 11. It says, verse 11, but you, man of God, flee, this word flee is a violent word, to run away as fast as you can from these things. Paul is doing, he's telling Timothy to flee from greed, flee flee from the love of money. Write this down. The foolish life falls into the trap of all-consuming greed. One reason we're not in the abundance of grace is because we are chasing the abundance of greed. This is difficult. I think we're in a culture today that greed is so celebrated. Greed is declared as being successful. And so it's very, very hard to be countercultural here and to fight against the love of money. But if we believe the Bible, that it's true, the Bible warns us specifically, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In fact, I I actually get nervous. I really want to, every week, preach a message of hope, preach a message of grace, and in some sense, other people use the word prosperity, but I fear talking about those things because a lot of us, if we don't have a nuanced understanding of the good news of Jesus, when we hear that God wants a plan for your life, he has a great purpose for you, we immediately filter that in through greed and think, okay, God, that means you want me to get more money. And so what we happen to do, even in church, we baptize greed in spiritual language. We say God's going to prosper you. He's going to bless you. And that's true. But we assume it means monetarily, but that is not always the case. It doesn't take long to see somebody who has a lot of money to recognize, oh, that does not equate to happiness. But it can buy me a boat and a truck to pull it and a ship. Okay, right? Country music fans? Okay. Right, so John Chrysostom, he's an early church father. He says, riches, this is so good. Riches are not forbidden, but the price of them is. 
Many of us cannot take greed. We cannot take money because it leads us to a heart of greed. But again, this phrase, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So flee from this. How is this the root in your life? We have to ask ourselves that question. Why do you overwork? A lot of us say, oh, I just enjoy work. I, I, I love you know, to make a difference in the world. But maybe at the heart of it, the root of it is actually greed. You need to flee from it. A lot of us, why do you never take time to read the Bible? How come you don't take time to you know, pursue and, and be in part of the community of God? And a lot of times, at its root issue, it's because of greed. We're trying to make more money. We're trying to make as much as we can as fast as possible. So again, I want us to ask the question, is greed making you starve in the supermarket of God's abundant grace? Paul says, I have a better life for you. Run from that. Flee from greed. We said this last week, but staying in the posture of gain will keep you in the prison of pain. Always needing more, always keeping score. This is not the life God has called us to. So we've been in the series, The Supremacy of Christ and Simplicity of Life. And I think this, the supremacy of Jesus and simplicity, not needing as many things, I think this is the answer to flee from these things, to flee from the all-consuming greed. I want you to write this down. This is a gospel principle. And if this is something, if, if greed is your thing that you struggle with, I just beg you to use this as a prayer for, the, you know, for the next, uh, this next week. In Christ, I am cared for and content. In Christ, I am cared for and content. And money is a cheap way to try to get cared for and a cheap way to be content. And it never, ever lasts. But in Christ, I am cared for and I am content. Richard Foster, I've mentioned this before, but he wrote this book called Celebration of Discipline. And he offers three ways, this is helpful for me, three ways to live that life of simplicity. I'm going to speak on this again real quick, and then we're going to move forward. But I think for us, if we're truly to be content, we have to do what it takes to, to live this life of contentment and not pursue greed. And this isn't just a mental ascent, but some of us, we have to do actual things to make sure that greed isn't taking over our life. So Richard Foster gave three real practical ways we can make sure greed isn't overtaking us. He says, number one, buy things for their usefulness and not for their status. I think that's really helpful. Number two, reject anything producing an addiction in you. I felt bad. I, was, I preached at uh, my father's church, Heart Cry, this morning, and I said, Mom, for you, that's Diet Coke. Amen, all right? So it didn't go over well. But um, so reject anything producing an addiction in you. And the third habit, he says, is develop a habit of giving things away. I think I mentioned this before, but in May, my family, we're going to find one item every day in May and just give it away. And I'm not talking gum wrapper stuff, right? I'm talking real things we really enjoy. Why do I want to do that? Why am I going to give stuff away? Because I want to live the abundant life that God has for me. And the, I do not want greed to step in the way. I, don't, I want to own things, but I do not want things to own me. Amen? And in Christ, I am cared for and content. If I truly believe that, then I should have the freedom of giving things away because I want to live the full life, not the foolish life. And Paul is saying, do not be caught up in the love of money. Here's the second thing. It says, okay, man of God, flee from these things. And now what? Pursue righteousness, godliness, and faith. Write this down. The foolish life falls into the trap of all condemning guilt. When we read this scripture, I know righteousness, godliness, faith, they seem for a lot of us like they're not attainable goals. These things that are difficult. Righteousness, how can I be righteous? 
So what happens, we get caught up in the lies of the enemy and we condemn ourselves with guilt and we think that these things could never happen for us. We can never be righteous. But let me just say, without Christ, we are guilty. Just be careful. We have to make sure we can say through the gospel, I love to talk about the, the truth we have in Christ, but if we do not have Christ, I believe we are guilty. And there's three different kinds of sins we're guilty of. Number one is sin of commission. This is the one you and I probably think of when we think of what we've done because it's doing something wrong. So you did the wrong thing. So typically it's gossip, it's lying, it's stealing, it's all those things, right? It's, so when you think of sin, this is what you primarily think of, sin of commission. Because of that, it makes us guilty. And so we must pay for that sin. Not only that, just to make sure you feel great today, uh, not a sin of commission, but a sin of omission. So you may think, man, I didn't do anything bad today. I didn't do anything wrong. And it's like, okay, great. But did you bless people? Did you give to people? Did you pray without ceasing? <laughs> You're a sinner, all right? That's kind of where we're at, right? Sin of omission is not doing what we should have done. You feeling good? And that's not it. I learned this a couple years ago. Not only do we have the sin of commission, the sin of omission, but we also have the sin of imperfection. Meaning there are times you and I do the right thing, but we do it for all the wrong reasons. Right? We serve in order to get a pat on our back. We give in order to get back tenfold. The right thing for all the wrong reasons. But here's the good news of the gospel. That is if you haven't received Jesus. But Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished. Meaning when we gather together every week, we are not coming up with a to-do list. We are praising God for the to-done list. Amen? It is finished. It is complete. Your sins are forgiven. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So I want to ask you, in your life, is guilt making you starve in the supermarket of God's abundant grace? Because if you are in Christ, there is you aren't guilty. That is from the enemy. Write this down. In Christ, I am favored and forgiven. Some of us need to pray this all week. In Christ, I am favored and and forgiven. Look at these three words, righteousness, godliness, faith. Righteousness, it means that exactly that, to be right with God and to be right with others. And for us, we have to pursue that, and there really are action steps to this, but at the same time, we have to remember the good news of the gospel. Christ is righteous in our place. So Paul is saying to pursue these things that are already yours. You're in the supermarket. The food is there. What I'm telling you to do is to grab it to apply it, to receive it. So his righteousness is already ours, so keep pursuing that. And godliness. Godliness, Christ is forming himself in you. We're becoming more and more like God. Dallas Willard, it's one of my favorite quotes. Go ahead and put it on the screen. Talking about godliness, he says, God is developing us. This is our, this is our passion at Passion Creek Church. God is developing us to be the kind of persons that he can empower, look, to do what we want. Not just to do what he wants, but God will so transform our hearts and our desires. He can empower us to answer whatever prayer we have because our heart is so much like God's. They are in one. We are in same purpose and unity. And what we're praying for is exactly what God wanted to pray for and do. And so he can empower us to do what we want. This is the good news of the gospel. And it's not just a car that you can use once you die. You have power today. You can access it now. And then this last word, faith. Two things on that. I think, first of all, faith in Jesus. Pursue, continue to believe in Jesus. But I think it's not only saying that, but it's also saying we're not supposed to pursue just faith in Jesus, but also pursue the faith of Jesus. The same kind of faith that Jesus made him walk on water to to feed the 5,000, to 
to love and to sacrifice for many. This faith can be ours when we receive it, when we grab hold of it. But so many of us, and I talk to y'all, and I talk to myself, we are not living this life because we are so trapped with guilt. You know, it's ironic. There's so many people I talk to all the time. And YouTube, people are mean, but they comment all the time. And I had a video about Bible reading and all this stuff. And I talked to you about reading the Bible. And how ironic. So many of us, we, are, we don't read our Bible today because we are so guilty that we forgot to read our Bible yesterday. You ever think about that? How ironic. So many times, people don't attend church today because they're guilty about missing church last week. What guilt does, it never leads to solutions. That's when you know it's from the enemy. The enemy loves to point out the problems. The Holy Spirit loves to point out the solution. The enemy points to you as a failure. Christ points to you as favored. In Christ, I am favored and I am forgiven. And it's so important for us to have this theology, understand the love that God has for us. This pursuit is not something that's far off, but it's already ours. We just have to receive it. Paul David Tripp, this is such a helpful quote. He says, how discouraging, not only to go through hard and maybe even life-altering circumstances, but also to think you're going through those things because you have fallen short of God's standard. That makes me so sad. Go to the next slide. It's hard to run to God for help, to pursue, to grab hold of eternal life. It's hard to do that, to rest in his care, to be assured of his love, and to believe that his mercies are constantly available and new every day when you are convinced you're being punished by him. Here's the good news of the gospel. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, I promise you, if you've received that, that if you've put faith in Jesus, God will never punish you because he punished the son in your place. This is the good news of the gospel. So man of God, flee from these things. So maybe some of us, we're not living this full life because we are trapped in all-consuming greed or some of us, we are trapped in all-condemning guilt. A lot of it's because of our upbringing. It's our misunderstanding of the Bible. It's the way we talk about the things of God. We need to make sure we understand the true gospel and pursue that. But look at this last one. Pursue love, endurance, and gentleness. Write this down. This one's really big for me in my season of life. The foolish life falls into the trap of all controlling grief. This one's hard. See, see, it's really easy to love, to endure, and to be gentle when life is going well. But we need the supernatural hand of God to do those things when life is not going well. So many of us, we have to make sure we allow grief to do its work. The scriptures are very clear. Weep with those who weep. Scriptures all over the place, lamenting, wailing before God. But, right, but I want you to hear me. Grief can console you, but do not let it control you. Grief can console you, but don't let it control you. For many of us, grief is what's making us starve in the supermarket of God's grace. We, we, we get this mentality of being feeling sorry for ourselves, this mentality that life will never get better. We heap burden upon burden. We find the negativity in every situation. And it becomes the spiral where we forget 
about the grace of God and the goodness of God, and we just keep making ourselves the victim. And this takes us away from the goodness of God. Tim Keller, if I can meet any pastor today that's still living, it would be Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York City. And just before Easter, he wrote an article in The Atlantic, and he talked about his process. He, he actually found out that he had pretty, pretty bad cancer. And so right now, if you could even pray for him, he is going through cancer treatment today. And he's in his 70s, and he said that he, when he found out the news, it really shocked him because he's a pastor. He is, for 50 years plus, he has walked people through grief. He has walked people through cancer diagnosis. He's done all these things, but it's a lot harder when it's you. And so him and his wife are trying to figure out, okay, how do we kind of, we're, we're overwhelmed. This, this is difficult. Grief has grabbed a hold of us. We want to let it do its work, but we, we need to do something. And so they decided to go on a vacation. So him and his wife, Kathy Keller, in this article talked about how they went to this vacation. And Kathy, I so related to her, Kathy, the first day of the vacation, she was immediately sad because she knew this would eventually end. I'm that guy. I'm like more excited about planning the vacation than when I get there. Because when I get there, I know, oh, it's only three days and we're out of here, right? So Kathy really felt this burden. She could never enjoy the vacation because she knew it was going to end so soon. Tim Keller, he says that he hated the vacation too because... He thought, I only have a few months to live. I got books to write. I got conferences to create. I need to leave a legacy. I can't be just sitting here on the beach. I need to make a difference. And it said that it robbed him of love and endurance. And he had this quote here. I thought it was was so good for my soul. It says, since by diagnosis, Kathy and I have come to see that the more we try to make a heaven out of this world, The more we grounded our comfort and security in it, the less we were able to enjoy it. I can't tell you how much of a word that was for my own soul. Grief can console you, but don't let it control you. What was happening is they were trying to grab a hold of something in this life to give them hope. So the more they tried to do that, the more hope ran away. He goes on in the article to talk about the abundance of Christ and receiving his grace and his mercy. And the beautiful thing is when we, don't, we allow grief, but we don't allow it to control us, we are able to have those vacations and enjoy them. We're able to have more accomplishments and be grateful for them because of just what they are. They're just a gift on earth, but they are not God. I wonder how many of us were running after, grabbing hold, of this world and we wonder why we're not content and we wonder why we are starving in the supermarket of God's abundant grace. Write this down. In Christ, I am vulnerable and victorious. If you're struggling with grief tonight, pray this prayer that in Christ, I am vulnerable and victorious. I love the psalmist. He says, there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the And because the tomb is empty, victory is coming for you and it's coming for me. This is the life we're being invited to live. I know for me, I have just been recognizing how grief has controlled my life. And so I'm fighting to see the beauty in the little things, fighting to see the beauty in the sunset, the beauty in my children laughing and crying and just seeing God's goodness, even when it's hard to tell. We have to understand. I, I, want us to, I want you to ask yourself the question, are you starving in the supermarket of God's abundant grace? Because in Christ, what we have to do is just 
grab it. And it's ours. William Randolph Hearst, he was a man uh, about 100 years ago. He invested a fortune in collecting art treasures from around the world. He was famous for this. He made more money just to get more art pieces. And one day, Mr. Hearst, he read this description of a very, very valuable art piece. And he was convinced, this will complete my collection. I need to do whatever it takes to get this art piece. So he wound up hiring people. He wound up sending people throughout every single continent in the world saying, I don't know, I don't care what it takes. Here is the piece. I need it in my possession. So he's getting frustrated. Days went by, weeks went by, months went by, nothing. We cannot find this art piece. How much more money I will spend. I, I need this art piece. I gotta have it in my hands. You don't understand. This will complete the collection. One day, an agent came up to him and said, sir, I have good news for you and kind of some bad news. He said, what is it? He goes, we, we found it. He said, great, it, what's wrong? It, is he not accepting our offer? I'll double whatever he's asking for. I will do whatever it takes. We need the art piece. And he said, it was in the warehouse the entire time. You had the art piece. We were looking through the warehouse and you already own it. And how many of us, we come to church, we come to the things of God and we say, God, I just need forgiveness I need love, I need hope, I need a future, I need to be cared for, I need to be content. And God is saying, it's already yours, you just got to grab onto it. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, it's yours. If you're consumed with greed, friends, in Christ you are already cared for and you can already be content, grab a hold of it. To those who are trapped in all-condemning guilt, that's the enemy. It's not reality. In Christ, you are already favored and you're already forgiven. And maybe you didn't hear this before. You're not just forgiven of your past. You're forgiven of your present. And the good news is you're already forgiven of your future. And maybe you're consumed with all controlling grief. In Christ, you are vulnerable. We have a gospel that doesn't deny the hardship of life, but we will be victorious. God is coming again. He will make all things right. The reality is we gather together as a family to say, God, I need you to love me. I need to make a reality, what's already a reality. I want to grab onto it and apply it in my life. Some of you are caught up in these traps. You have no need to get caught up in. But if you're not in Christ, if you haven't surrendered to the goodness of God and haven't believed Jesus as your savior who died in your place, without Christ, you, you kind of have no hope. The only hope in life is to run after greed. Without Christ, you are condemned with guilt. Without Christ, there's no real answer for grief. There's no real answer for suffering, but because of Christ, we have a God who answered suffering by partaking in it in our place and rose again in victory. This is the good news of the gospel. I want to encourage you, maybe you've been dancing around the supermarket, you've been around the things of God, but you have never actually grabbed a hold of it yourself. I plead with you today, if you have not believed in Jesus before, I plead with you to grab a hold of that eternal life that begins now. If you're here, who you've already grabbed a hold of it in the past, but maybe you are walking with a limp. You're falling into the traps of greed guilt, and grief. It takes, you can take a thousand steps away from God. It always just takes one to come back. 
Just pray to God saying, God, I want you back. God, I'm grabbing a hold of what you have for me. I believe I'm forgiven. I believe I am favored. I believe I am victorious, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ you have done in my place. And imagine what God can do through you.